Oh my, a couple of things to, uh, to cover, I think, very important here this morning. Uh, before we get into uh, this, the text, and uh, I, I pray that uh, we'll be challenged uh, through what we study in the Word of God this morning. But uh, just a couple of notes I, th- I find a little interesting, well, quite interesting, actually, and sad on this uh, celebration of uh, the independence of the U.S., the last surviving Medal of Honor winner, uh, a recipient, not winner, excuse me, that was a terrible choice of words, the last living Medal of Honor recipient passed away this week. Uh, Herschel Woodrow Woody Williams, um, the last living World War II Medal of Honor recipient, uh, passed away, and uh, he was awarded the Medal of Honor for Valor uh, on Iwo Jima and uh, single-handedly took out seven or eight enemy positions uh, to make way for the American troops uh, to move through. And uh, it's just, I don't know, it just hit me as a a sad note, you know, just a sad note. So honor those who have gone before us and gave so much. The other thing I would like to share with you this morning because I see this, uh, uh, this division in the U.S. continuing to, to grow. Uh, matter of fact, I was going to read an article, I won't read it, from a World War II veteran who, who was grieving uh, over the condition of the country. Uh, I'll basically tell you what he said. This is not the country that I fought for. And it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart that we're seeing so much division, dissension, anger, and hatred. Uh, And folks, I want to challenge the church again. Don't take that path. Don't take that path. I want to present to you the problem, and I'm not trying to be oversimplistic. I don't want to to sound that way, but in its very core, at the essence of the debate that rages around us is two world views. That's as simple as that. You've got the secular worldview, non-Christian, And you've got a biblical worldview, which should be held by every born-again believer. Folks, it's the clash of worldviews. It's the clash of worldviews. The issues, the, the causes are symptomatic. They're symptomatic of the clash of worldviews. And so I want to encourage the church, stay true to your biblical worldview. Don't compartmentalize. Don't say, well, I'll cover this one with Scripture, and over here I'll just make my choice or my decision. No. When we hold a biblical worldview, everything is filtered through the Word of God. Everything is filtered through the Word of God. And we can't put this issue outside, whether it's abortion or anything else. We can't put it outside. We either have, and I fear that sometimes Christians uh, compromise the secularists are at times more consistent. So don't compromise your values. Don't compromise your convictions. But make sure that first and foremost, your commitment is to Christ and Christ alone, not a cause. Not a cause. Because if we get that right, if we get that commitment to Christ and Christ alone first, 
everything else will be in order. Amen? And please, please lead as I encouraged you with grace, with mercy, with kindness, even with those with whom we disagree. Okay? We can do that without compromise. But, uh, folks, you're not going to win the argument till God wins the soul. Okay? Just those words of encouragement. And by the way, I think, although we may be grieved by the condition of this great nation, the things that are happening, the deterioration that we see, I, uh, <laughs> I heard a spokesman here just this week call it uh, uh, the new liberal world order. That was, a, a, that was an official in the, in the administration, high up official, referred to this spiking prices and everything as just part of the new liberal world order. Boy, that ought to light our fire. Huh? Folks, we're drawn in. We're pushing in on the end of this thing called earth. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is going to come back and set it all right. He's going to set it all right. But what a time to be alive. What a time to be the church. With this darkness that appears, now listen, this ain't part of the sermon. I'm going to preach this one, no extra cost. It appears that darkness is closing in, but in reality, the light is getting brighter. God's church is beginning to shine and break through the darkness. Amen. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. We may grieve. <laughs> over some of the things we see. But folks, it's not about the issues. It's not about the, the, the causes. It's not about all of these things. In essence, it's about the souls of men and women getting people saved. Amen? Okay. All right. I uh, was glad to get my wife here with me this morning. Uh, she made the trip in, doing well. We do want to be in prayer for, for uh, uh, John Sherling is in the hospital uh, and uh, going through some tests and treatment. Uh, so I want to be praying for John, and uh, uh, Cindy will keep us updated on that as we go along. Uh, but I come rolling in this morning. I come rolling in, and, and uh, uh, Connie was in her wheelchair, and there was a bunch of people sitting around there, and I said, yeah, it took me forever to get here. I said, uh, she had trouble on all those hills on 56. <laughs> and, and they looked at me, and I said, come on, guys. I was right behind her. had my flashers on. We better get to the word, hadn't we, Charles? Yeah. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Stand up. We got three minutes to say hello to everybody, okay? Come on, let's do it, guys. Let's do it. Greet one another in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this morning we are going to talk about the joy of service. And the title of the message really is, Who cares? Who cares? And it's a question that's caught on even in my own household. Uh, since uh, we talked about it, uh, uh, the kids now, of course, respond with, they tell them something, well, Grandpa, that's the title of your sermon. Who cares? You know? But I hope that it really speaks to us because the question is not for the other person. The question is for me. Do I care? And if I care, how does that look? How is that being played out in my life to show that I really care? 
So that's kind of the thread that will run through our message this morning. The joy of service, serving the Lord by serving others. The joy that comes through submission to the call and the will of God in our lives. The joy of being a blessing to others without expecting anything in return. How about that? We'll begin by looking at two men. Two men of God that lived a joy-filled, joy-driven lives for the glory of God. And I want us to be mindful that these are not simply stories in a storybook. These are real men, real people, real time, living their lives at a point in time in history. And now they're recorded in the Word of God, not just so we'll be happy with a happy story, but that we'll be convicted and say, how does my life model theirs? So if you would please and are able, stand for the reading of the Word of God. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2, picking up where Pastor Adam left off. <clears throat> and we'll begin reading in verse 19. This is the Word of God to us. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel, or with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Wow. Father, I pray that we really, really grab hold of this text today. Or maybe I should say that this text will grab hold of us. Father, that we will be the people that you've called us to be, doing those things which you have granted to us, the gifts and the resources to carry out. You'll never call us without equipping us. So, Father, we can, we can trust that always. Thank you for the word, living, active, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to establish real quick, and it really kind of segues off of the worldview uh, uh, brief presentation we had, or intro, this worldview, there, there are basically two worldviews, and we're going to live in one of them, and maybe even both falling within the one worldview of Christianity, there can be two groups of people. One is Philippians 1.21, the other is Philippians 2.21. That's fairly easy to remember. Philippians 1.21, 
many Christians, many Christians, as did Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, got it, lived in this one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But far too many live in 221, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's pretty defining, isn't it? One of those two areas, we will find ourselves. We will find ourselves. And by the end of the day, or in the uh, uh, days that follow, maybe even more will be moved one chapter forward. Amen? J.C. Ryle was a bishop in the Anglican Church, actually in Liverpool, England, first bishop there back in the 1800s, conservative evangelical. And in his book, The Character of a True Christian, he wrote this, A genuine gospel faith has nothing selfish about it. It never makes a man think only of his own salvation. It stirs him up to concern about the souls of others. I always suspect that those who care nothing, whether their brethren are saved or not, must in reality be ignorant on thoughts about their own state. Wow. First of all, who cares? In our text, who cares? Can you name me three people that you find in our text that cared? Paul? Timothy? Epaphroditus. And then we could also throw in the congregation of Philippi, right? But we know for the sake of this text and zeroing in on these two, basically two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we know they cared. Well, how do we know they cared? Paul cannot obviously make it to Philippi, so he is committed to have someone else go. Now, this is one of the four prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. In other words, letters that he wrote while in prison. You know, some people think the epistles are the wife of the apostles. No. An epistle is simply a letter. A letter. He turns to Timothy and Epaphroditus. So the first man that we want to look at, and this will be fairly brief, we can't possibly cover his entire life, but we will look at number one, Timothy, a man of proven worth. A man of proven worth. That is a powerful statement. A powerful statement. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. In other words, he wants his trusted servant Timothy to go to Philippi so Timothy can bring back good news about the church there so everybody wins. The church is encouraged. Paul is encouraged. Timothy brings ministry to the church and to Paul. And, and, and then he goes on to say, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for you. Timothy cares. He cares. What a testimony. If, if we look at that again, genu genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy cares. Paul's intimate relationship with Timothy is evident. Timothy is his son in the faith. Timothy cared for people. He was concerned about their needs. There were hundreds and hundreds of Christians in Rome. Paul sends greetings to 26 of them in the 16th chapter of the book bearing the Roman name. Yet not one of them was available, or apparently, 
are willing to go. I, I mean, I like my mind kind of wander. I think, well, where's the rest of the church in Rome? Where's all the other Christians in Rome? Don't know. But we know this. Paul was in prison there. And he needed somebody to go in his stead. And there's no record of any of them ever visiting Paul. Isn't that interesting? We only have a short list of people that actually visited him. Timothy lived in Philippians 1.21. That proved itself by obeying Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I encourage you to listen carefully to the Word of God as I read an account from Matthew chapter 25. And these are the words of our Lord. And this gives us a description of proven worth. What does, what does it look like to really care? Chapter 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, that He will sit on His glorious throne, before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Do you see how this theme of groups and division, worldview, this continually runs through here? There's going to be two worldviews, the goat view and the sheep view. Do you see it? And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's caring. That's caring. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, that text needs no explanation. It's very clear. That's proven worth when it comes to living out our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Proven worth. And we got to be serious about this. Here again, I talked about a biblical worldview, and we tend to compartmentalize. Well, I'm not called to do this. I'm not called to do this. Well, that's not my gift. Get over it. Get over it. God has called all of his people to exercise their faith and be living examples of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are to share. Yes, we are to express, to teach, to share our testimony, to share the gospel of the good news, tell people how to be saved. But I'll tell you what, love and action is more than that. It's more than that. 
It's getting your hands dirty. It's going places where the, where the uh, people are, are less desirable, possibly. But the bottom line is, we're all called to go. We're all called to go. Timothy was a man of proven worth, not only Paul's son, but Paul's servant and Paul's substitute. Point number two, Epaphroditus, a purpose-driven servant. We have a, a man of proven worth. Now we have a purpose-driven servant. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to me, to my need, for he has been longing for all of you, <clears throat> for all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. You see that? You see that? He's not worried about his own illness. He's worried. He's, he's more concerned about the church that's concerned about him. Isn't that great? He said, this is important. I am concerned for you because I want to relieve you of your concern for me. Hallelujah. Distressed. A great word in the text. It, it literally means full of heaviness. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the King James uses that term. Full of heaviness. It's the exact same description used of Christ at Gethsemane. Same language. This is real care. This is real caring. That he was distressed. Epaphroditus was a member of the local fellowship at Philippi. Local fellowship is critical. Critical. But it's not the sum total of our Christian life. There must be a balance with fellowship and the furtherance of the gospel. Dr. H.A. Ironside used to tell the story about a group of believers in his area. That they, they met in this fellowship, but they had little concern for reaching the lost or ministering to the people around them. On the front of their meeting place hung a sign that said, Jesus only. One day a wind, a strong wind and a storm came through, according to Dr. Ironside, and blew the JES away. And the sign simply read, us only. And Dr. Ironside said, that was a much more accurate description of the group that met. Epaphroditus was concerned about Paul. He was concerned about the local fellowship. He was concerned and wanted to do something about it. He put feet to his faith. Uh, I love the, the rescue mission. Uh, I've always loved that little saying they have on their vehicles, faith with its sleeves rolled up. A working faith, a faith that works. Long, hard, dangerous journey to Rome, but Epaphroditus had taken it and endured. Folks, this wasn't a Sunday afternoon drive. You got Philippi clear up here in what, northern to northeastern Greece, and you've got Rome over here in Italy. You know, that wasn't an easy trip to make. And it obviously cost him. We don't know what his illness was. Doesn't matter. We know that he was ill to the point of death and his main concern was the folks back home. I'll never forget an email, or no, it wasn't an email. It was a story. I was in Brazil. I know I've shared this before, but I think it's appropriate since the Holy Spirit just laid it on my heart. Philip Warkentine had been very ill. And uh, matter of fact, he was not feeling well when I, when I arrived in Brazil. 
And uh, so we were kind of gathering ourselves, getting, getting a strategy of ministry uh, planned out, where we would go, what we would do. And Philip started talking about his illness. And finally, going to the emergency room there at the hospital in Kadararu. And as he lay there on the, on the gurney, the, the hospital bed, the surgeon, the doctor, the ER doctor came in and said, uh, Mr. Warkentine, what are you here for? And Philip said, I don't know yet. And the doctor said, no. He said, what, what's, what is wrong? Why are you here? And Philip said, I don't know yet. And the doctor wanted clarification. And Philip explained to him that the sickness was only an avenue of witness. He didn't come to the emergency room just for the sickness. He come because through the sickness, he'd be able to share Christ with somebody. He says, I don't know why I'm here yet, because I don't know who is supposed to hear the gospel today. The doctor got saved. That's servanthood. That's always being prepared. Look for something greater than the suffering, folks. Look for something greater than the illness itself. Look for something greater than the hard times, the bad times, the rough times. Look for something greater in the bad news that we're inundated and saturated with. There's a greater plan for the body of Christ, and we need to be looking at those things, not the problem, but the higher calling, the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why are we here today? to get ready to go out there and share the good news with a struggling, dying, confused, lost world. We're light, we're salt, we're hope, we're peace. Everything the world is looking for, we're the answer to their rage, we're the answer to their anger, we're the answer to the bitterness, we're the answer to their hopelessness. We have Jesus. Let's go share it. Let's go share it. They understood, they understood how important it was that people everywhere would have the same hope that they have. You see, Epaphroditus lived in Philippians 1.21 and 2.4. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. That's where Epaphroditus lived. Point number three. Epaphroditus a man of persevering faith. Persevering faith. I am the more eager to send him, Paul says, therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete that which was lacking in your service to me. I read a statement recently regarding effective church ministry. It's very simple, and it goes like this. A church without broken people is a broken church. A church without broken people is a broken church. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of churches that need to be broken. There's a lot of Christians that have yet to be broken. And what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? It means that we are so burdened, so burdened for the gospel of Jesus Christ that it compels every aspect of our life. You think, well, that's ridiculous. 
I don't want to be a religious fanatic. Well, I don't want you to be a religious fanatic either. I want you to be a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. The world's got enough religious fanatics. We need people who have a deep, unwavering love for Jesus Christ to go tell others about him. Amen? If there's one thing that I would encourage you, if you think you're religious, please lose your religion. Please lose it and find Christ. Find Christ. A church without broken people is a broken church. Have you been broken over your own sinfulness? Have you been broken because you realize that without the grace of God, you have absolutely no hope? Have you been broken because his mercies have never really impacted your life in any way? Have you, have you been broken because you're somewhere where you don't know what to do or how you're going to make it through it or how you're going to get by or how you're going to get out? And all you got's Jesus. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Because you will find him faithful. You will find him sufficient in all things. But if you're out there pedaling just as fast as you can go and think you got it under control, you are worse off than everyone. Point number three, and I, I, I want us to continue with this, where it says a man of persevering faith. Paul says, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeking him, at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. We commented this on earlier, that, that this was going to bring healing to everyone. These people were dependent on Christ and Christ alone. They understood their own sinfulness, their own inadequacies, and they just went. They just went. Regardless of the risk, they didn't measure the risk. They just went. Paul in prison wants Epaphroditus to leave him and go back to Philippi so that they may rejoice and he may have peace. It's always others, 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 others. He nearly died for nothing. No, for the work of Christ. He nearly died for the work of Christ. Why? Because he come on, cared. cared that's why he cared for christ he cared for the gospel he cared for others so the question for us to answer this morning is how are we doing do we care ministering to others is not about having enough time it's a matter of do you care? We make time for the things we care about. I'll guarantee you. We make time for the things we care about. And remember, our scripture this morning is not story time. It's surrender time. Are you a Philippian 121 believer? Or a 221 believer? I want to close with one more quote from Bishop Ryle. A zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He sees only one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up for one thing. And that one thing is to please God. 
Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he is in sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the man who cares nothing at all, he burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. Let's make a commitment today to live in Philippians 121. For to me to live, to die is gain. Christ is worth living for. Christ is worth dying for. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. So at this time, we we close the notes. We let the scripture speak to our hearts in just a moment of silence. And we call this a time of invitation, an altar call. But please understand, I don't do this on my own. It isn't Elvin Dillard that extends the call to you. It isn't Grace Community Church that is saying, please come. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he invites us all to come. If we're weak, if we're heavy burden, come to him, he'll give you rest. We have these promises. We have these promises. But he also told us that he had all authority and that he was going to send us into this dark and dangerous world to teach and to baptize, to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, to disciple them, that they may grow and go themselves. As I told the children, what else did he promise? He said we'd never go alone. We'd never be alone. The Holy Spirit would be there to empower us, to encourage us, like Brother Warkentine, to make us look at our circumstances as an opportunity instead of just an affliction. But folks, our nation is in trouble. And across the nation, churches are also in trouble. Some of them have already abandoned the faith for the sake of popularity. Well, folks, I am only concerned about one opinion. Now, that doesn't mean I don't value yours. <laughs> but ultimately, I'm concerned about one. And that is my life, is my life where it needs to be? And the answer is no. No. I'm not there yet. But am I properly handling the word of God? That's the question that I will give an account for. Pastor Adam is going to stand before the, the judge of judges and give an account for rightly dividing the word of God. And he knows that. He knows that. Woe to the shepherd that leads his sheep astray. By the grace of God, that will never happen at Grace Community Church, no matter what the cost.
but we will do it in love. We'll do it with a burden for the lost souls of others, not just to promote an agenda. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there will be elders at the front. We'll be glad to meet with you at this time. We'll meet you at the altar. We will meet with you after church. If you want to see one of us in private or see someone, please do not leave here this morning with questions unanswered. Do not leave here this morning with doubts, with doubts about your salvation. We can take you to the scripture and show you how you can be sure whether you're a child of God or not. The word of God has already spoken. We don't have to come up with something, right? Isn't that the beauty of the Christian life? Got everything we need. And all the sufficient answers are found right there in that book called The Biblical Worldview. Do you have one this morning? It comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the time that we've had, for this time of great fellowship, a time of worship and song, a time of worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings, a time of worship through through uh, the sacraments, through the communion, Father, the sweet fellowship with one another, and most of all, the precious fellowship with you. But Father, it's decision time. It's time to decide which world we're going to live in because it's very clear, you cannot straddle them both. You cannot straddle them. So, Father, by your spirit, do what only you can do. Transform hearts, save souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be, uh, please stand at the invitation song. And as our music team leads, just take a moment and sincerely, sincerely ask this question in the privacy of your own heart. Do I care? Do I care? And if I don't, break me. Break me.